Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Father, I thank you for this time this morning, God. Uh, Holy Spirit, come. Just fall on this place. Lord, speak to us. Give us ears to hear and eyes see. Lord, every distraction, just we just push to the side. And we come expecting you to move and speak today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. We're in this series called, uh, and really built around a word that I believe God gave me for this church for the year, which is this. The answer, the answer is Jesus in you. That regardless of what you go through this year in life, regardless of, of what you struggle with, what the difficulties are, the things that you wrestle through, it, the simplicity of the gospel and all that I really know, everything else that I preach is just fluff, but all that I know is this, Jesus is the answer. And the most simple form that I can bring to you of the gospel is this, the answer is Jesus. So when we sit and have coffee and you tell me about all the crazy that's going on, I'll probably just go, the answer is Jesus. Hopefully I'll give you a little more than that. But, but the simplicity and the beauty of this gospel is this. That this Jesus that lives in you, the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that lives in you, is the answer. And I stand on that truth and I believe that truth. It says this in Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The answer in you is Jesus. Now, I was, as I was going through this message this morning, um, I, I, a question for you. How do you know that you're healthy? I, I, I have a doctor uh, brain that, that uh, uh, I see twice a year, and he makes me do all these labs, and he looks at anything. And then he, he hands me this report of about, with an EKG and, and all, like there's like 10 pages where he determines that I'm not very healthy or that I am healthy. And then he did a carotid artery thing. I mean, he's like, you got too much black in your artery. And I'm like, I don't have too much black in my artery. I've been, I've been eating well. No, you're not eating well because this is, you'd be lying to me if you were because that's not what it says here. And, and I'm going back and forth. And then Chris goes to him and then we have this challenge because usually I win and my numbers look better. But this time her numbers look better and I don't like that. So I don't think he's right. I think he's rigging the game. How do you know you're... <laughs> Thank you, Minnie. Welcome back. <laughs> How do you know you're healthy? You, you, you look at the data. You analyze. You look in the mirror. You, you see what, what it says. And that's what I did with my doctor. And, 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 and looking at this church and us kicking off what God has for us, I, I wanted to ask us, what are the characteristics of a healthy church? What does that look like? What means that? What are, the, what are the, the things that we look at that we grab a hold and go, we're a healthy church? And I, I've got a few of them we'll roll through quickly today. But uh, obedience and humility and love and a servant's heart, joy and gratitude, forgiveness, vision, sacrifice and accountability are all aspects of a healthy church, Jesus' church. Now the reality is this though. 
if you've been here long enough, here's what you know. Who's the church? You are. The church isn't this building. The church isn't Pacific Point. It is where we come together, where we gather, where we worship, where we take time, and then we leave this place. And when we leave this place, the church leaves the building. It doesn't stay in here till you come back next week. Church starts at, at 1.30 when I'm done today. And then it, oh, come on, come on. You guys didn't get that one. <laughs> it starts when we leave here today and it fires back up when we get back next week. Because you're the church. So when I talk about the characteristics of a healthy church, I'm really talking about the characteristics of a healthy you. Because you're the church. And it's, it's interesting as you, as you look at the parallels and they're synonymous and, and what that looks like. And I want to break those down today. So I'm going to talk about a healthy church. But what I want you to do is in your mind knowing that you are the church, go through the checklist in your life. Am I a healthy church? Because collectively, when you and I are healthy as the church, we can change the world. We can impact this place called Costa Mesa. Ian's with us here, and, and is what? So this man is uh, is impacting not only Costa Mesa but California around this principle that the church is alive and she's going forth and she works together and everything that God has called us to do. And it's so his heart is that the church would be the church outside of the walls and there'd be one church in Orange County and one church in Costa Mesa that would make a difference and impact this world. And our heartbeats are the exact same because that's what the gospel says and what it's all about. You're the church. Characteristics of a healthy you. So when I'm going through this, look in the mirror. The first one's obedience. Obedience to the Lord brings wisdom. Obedience brings wisdom. This is where everything starts to break down in Christianity for so many. Because we, we love the, the ticket to heaven thing. We love the grace that gets us out of hell. That, 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 that takes us to that place of, of relationship with God. But what we don't think about is the obedience that God calls us to walk in. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what what it is. Obedience is what God calls us to. Not our feelings. Look, I say this often, if I lived my life by my feelings, if I lived my life, go ahead, Seth, by my feelings, I would have eaten all those donuts this morning. And I would have never made it here on time. I wouldn't have got, it. your feelings can't rule you. Obedience says this in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He's basically saying, why do you say I'm Lord? And when you call someone Lord, Jesus, Lord, what you're saying to him is this. You're in control of my life. When you go, dear Lord, and you hand it to him, what you're saying is, here you go. Here's my life. But he says here, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I say? In the same way, it'd be like with your children, the natural and the spiritual run parallel. Why do you call me dad, yet you treat me like your friends? Why do you call me mom, but you don't listen to anything I say? Now, we've all experienced that as parents. If you have kids, it's one of the most frustrating things that you walk in. I can only imagine what God deals with when talking about me. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says this, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than that of a fat of a ram. What, what is, what's he, he saying here? We think we're being sacrificial by church how many times a month 
twice a month. I got you guys conditioned so well. We think we're, <laughs> if you're a guest here, I, that's my line about every week. So that's how everybody knows it. But the, they talk about the average attender in church twice a month. You know, but, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not come to church? Why, why do you, you know, you think you're sacrificing. We think we're sacrificing by coming twice a month. And, and God goes, whoa, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your obedience. And we look at obedience, and Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering of the brother. In other words, when you come together, something happens. And that's what he's talking about. Number two is humility. A healthy church isn't wrapped up in the uh, preoccupation of, of size and building. It's filled with people who serve the Lord and one another. I was thinking that in the context of our church. We didn't have to worry about humility as a church. We didn't, I mean, for, we spent the last eight months outside on a patio, moving, moving patio chair or uh, tables from the school. And, you know, it, we had planes flying over and there was no one going, come to my church because it's the greatest thing ever. And the beauty of all the, no one was doing that. There was a humility that was there because God had just called us to come together. It, a healthy church isn't about all bigger, more, all that stuff. A healthy church is about being the church and leaving the building and encountering and, and walking in the midst of others and making a difference. Both First Peter and James, back-to-back -back books, say the same thing. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Chris and I are getting ready to go away for a couple days tomorrow. We, we try to get away uh, every six months and kind of look at our lives. And uh, we look at the last six months, and then we look at the next six months. And, and this is one that I, I, I got a, an inkling I think she's going to deal with me on. <laughs> Her lack of humility. I mean, my lack of humility. I, I, I feel it coming. <laughs> there's, there's, there's something coming. So, so when I look in the mirror as an individual, I'm the church and I leave this building, there's sometimes that humility doesn't sit well with me. When I look at us as a whole, as a church, I feel like there's a humility about what God's doing here with, my, with these people that God has given us to steward. And I love that. The third thing, characteristic that we look at is, is love. Biblical love is not an emotion. Biblical love is not a, it, 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 it is an act of sacrifice. It's all about others. True love is not an emotion. Look, we live in a society that they say you fall in love and you fall out of love. I fell in love, I fell out of love. I married her or him, I was in love with him. Now, nah, not so much anymore, but that's not the reality and not what the Bible says. The Bible says this, you choose to love and God is faithful to bring your emotions right behind you. Love is a choice that is followed by the emotions that get stirred up. And I say this when I do weddings, I guarantee you, and it's hard to believe, I know it's, it will be hard for you to believe, but I don't wake up or she doesn't wake up every morning and look over at me with my hair. Well, I don't have much hair, but my breath kicking going, oh, I'm so in love with him. Do you? Oh, you do. So me too. And so <laughs> it, it's this choice that I make every single day. And in and, and the church, when you leave this building, it's the choice that you make to love your neighbors, to love your family members, the ones you don't like. I was on a, a text read this I was texting uh, someone this morning who uh, his family just popped in they lived six hours for him they just happened to come and this person had 
trouble with that fem. They don't really like them. They, they like one of the members. I'm trying to keep them protected in case they're listening. They like one of the members, but they don't like the other. But they, the one that they liked didn't tell them the other one was coming. You ever had that one? <laughs> and, 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 and they were just up and they were so much so that they told the one that they like, I didn't invite that one. And the two of them got back in the car and went six more hours back home that same day that they had gotten there. And that person who is a, is a lovely person, this person literally uh, it just, but the anger and all, I said, look, look, it's, it, it, nope, okay. They texted me and, and said, I did it again. And, and I, I was right in the middle of, of going through this stuff. And I just said, love is a choice you're going to have to make for these two. And all your emotions that say anger, unforgiveness, and all the things that are, are really grabbing a hold of you that you and I walk in, you choose to walk through by making that decision to love. Why? Next slide, Seth. Because 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says this, by this we know love. By this we know love. You want to know what love is? By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet chooses or closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love the word or talk, but in deed and in truth. He's saying, if you want to love, make a choice and do it. Don't just talk about it. I'm good at saying I love you to her, but am I good at closing the gap between what I say and what I do? Life is about closing gaps. I, the simplicity of life. This is a book I need to write. It's about this because it's for simple, dumb hockey players. But it's about closing gaps. And when I say I love someone, there's this gap. Because no way in anybody here can love in perfection that God loves in. My life, my goal, what I should be doing with this woman is this. Closing that gap between what I say and what I do. Between what I say and what I do. Between what I say and what I do. So the gap is right here, not here. When we look in the mirror, in our individual lives, how do you love? What do the gaps look like with your children? What do the gaps look like with your spouses? What do the gaps look like with your friends and family members? When I look at this church, I believe the gap is pretty tight. Because I see the things in the way that you guys love. I watch the way that you, you, you love the Blairs through. They're crazy this last season. I, I love, I see the way that you love different people through different situations in life. And, and it's just encouraging to me. Number four is a servant's heart. Sometimes people take and come to, many of you are new here, and, and after I preach, you may not ever come back. But if you choose to, I welcome you to. <laughs> you look at a church and things that are going on, and you think, ah, they don't really need me there. But that's a complete lie. I don't care who you are. See, here's the reality. In First Corinthians, or in, in Romans 12, it says that God places as he sees fit. Now, here's our theology in this church around church. You don't get to choose church. God places you according to his will. 
the church in Orange County, the church at large, they love to go from church to church to church. And I, someone offends them with their preaching, let's try this church. Someone offends them with their, their music, let's try this church. Someone offends them with the coffee, let's try that church. And it's not biblical because God places as he sees fit. And there's a strategy behind it. And you have a gift that the church needs that God has called you to be a part of. And when you go over there because you're offended, there's a hole right here. It's a church, you go where you call. Why? Because there's a gift that you bring so that the whole as a church can minister the way God has called us to minister. Romans 12, 4 through 5. For just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. What's he saying? One body. Now that's on a micro. We can go outside. There's only one church. There's only one church in the world. We're an expression of that. There's Jesus' church. That's it. And the fractions and the, the talk and, oh, they're too big or they're too small. Look, I, I've, I've heard both ends. I've heard people say, oh, that, that, those mega churches, they're too big. No one can, can plug in and no one, you know, pastors don't love them. All. And then I heard the other end when we had 15 people and people would say, that's not a church, that's just a Bible study. And, and they're both wrong. They're both wrong. It's a body that Christ brings together, functioning way that God has called them to. And I look throughout this, this uh, church that God has given us, I see the different giftedness and, and how God puts it together and, and how it's just beautifully woven together. And I say, that's the body of Christ. There's a servant heart. And this servant heart is, is it ones that we had 15 guys here setting up chairs a couple weeks ago. We have Jeremiah and, 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 and coming and helping set up and TJ and my boys and all, many of you coming and helping and doing things because it's your church. A servant's heart. Number five is, Daryl, I just, you're already leaving me. This, this is my, one of my best friends and one of the board members. You're on the board and you're already leaving me. Gosh. <laughs> Touche. Touche. I'll introduce. That was good. That was good. Joy and contentment. Joy and contentment are responses to God's work in our heart, soul, and minds. We all deal with difficulty and suffering. All of us have a story that's that difficult at once. But God desires to give us to uh, desires to give us His ongoing, continual joy and contentment. Uh, we look at Philippians four four. Rejoice always in the Lord. I will say again, rejoice. Joy and contentment is, is, is one that is, is, seems so elusive at times. When, it's, when you're looking for a biblical joy and contentment that is sustaining, not just this joy, contentment, oh no, joy, contentment, oh no. You know that one where you know, you're, real, you're, uh, you're, you're like a grumpy old man that, that I've been called and, you know, and not always joyous and... And yes, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. It, it, it literally, joy and contentment have nothing to do with your circumstances. It's all about the attitude of the heart. 
What I mean by that is, regardless of what you're going through, when you come and you encounter Jesus, and you realize that Jesus, this Jesus of the Bible, lives in you, that, that he walks with you through everything that you're going through, you, you grab a hold of this contentment, you can grab a hold of this joy. It doesn't mean that you like the situation. It doesn't mean that you have to, uh, you know, be happy in the situation. But what it means is that you can find a joy, you can find this contentment in the midst of whatever you're going through. We see Paul as he did that in prison. The Christian church, so many times, me, so many times, it's like, ah, grumpy old man, you know. God's going, man, your joy is in me. When I look at this church, I am convinced that the joy and the contentment, because let me say this, there's no way that you spend the last three or four years with us going from Saturday night to Sunday morning, back to Saturday night, to online COVID, to whatever, if, if there wasn't a joy and contentment about what God was doing here, you would have just left. I would have left. But there's something about it. I've, 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 I've had conversations with people that, that have said, it's not really a church. And, and I go, no, but there's, there's this joy. There's just this something about what God's doing here that I, I can't let it go. And, and it just... I'm like, okay, God, what's next? And it doesn't mean there were difficult times. It doesn't mean it's not hard, you know, doing what we've done here. But, but there, I, you guys show up, and, and there's smiles. And even when we had, I don't know, we've had days when there's 18 people. It's like, all right, we're going to preach to 18 people, and we're going to enjoy donuts with 18 people, and we're going to love with 18 people, and we can change the world with 18 people. Jesus did it with 12. I love that. I love it. Number six, gratitude. The single greatest way, the number ways, I am the single greatest way to change your situation in life is this, to be thankful. It's an attitude of the heart that shifts something in your soul. When, you, when, it, when I was talking to this person this morning who was, was dealing with unforgiveness and anger, I said, just start thanking God for them. And just start thinking, how can I thank God for them, they said. I said, look, you do it, you make a choice, and watch God fill in the emotions and start to change your situation. I'm not talking about, I want to be careful about that. I, it, it, I don't want it to sound, you know, 10, 100 ways to a better life-esque. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, mind over matter. No, no, no. I'm talking about the truth of God's word that says when I am thankful in all situations, and I might not like the situation, but when I'm thankful and I choose to be thankful in my heart. And I told this person this morning that the, one of the people that, that came was this person's uh, mother. And I said, you need to thank God that you're even here because of her because you wouldn't even be existing if it wasn't for her. So let's go right there be thankful. It's, it's difficult though. See, here's the deal with anger, unforgiveness, and uh, whatever you're emotionally going through. Sometimes we preach on those things and we go, okay, just repent and it'll be get it better and be thankful. And you walk out the door and you repent and it's better for eight minutes till someone brings it up again. You never, you never judge the victory by the absence of the struggle that you're going through. You judge victory by the time between. 
Because here's what happens. The enemy comes in the moment you forgive and you walk out the door. The enemy comes in and just drops in your ear. And, and when you counter that with go, no, 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 I thank God for that person. I thank God for that situation. And, and Chris and I have, uh, have dealt with this, have been through this, have walked through this. And it's this heart change of, okay, God, thank you. I don't like it. I don't want it. But God, I thank you that you're in control and that you see beginning to end. And it says in your word in Ecclesiastes that it will be beautiful. You trust. First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Gratitude. James 3.11, does, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? What is he saying? You can't have anger and, and hatred and, and, and thankfulness in the, in the same place. There, it doesn't, they don't coexist. Won't come out. Number seven, forgiveness. The church can't survive without forgiveness. Why? Foundation of what we are, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection the grace that I walk in, yet the church, you are the church, I'm the church, yet the church walks in unforgiveness. Many of us are holding on to something today that God says, when you go and receive the elements, if you have a relationship with Jesus, when you go and receive the body and the, and the, and the, the wine which represents the blood, you better come to a place of forgiveness because I forgave you. Some of us are holding on to these things. The church can't survive without forgiveness. Why? We're fallen. We're messy. The relationships are, are, are jacked up. There are no real relationships without, without both the need for and the giving of forgiveness. Thank God that this woman is who she is. Now, this is going to be hard for you to believe. So just take it with a grain of salt. It's, it's, and you may not believe it, and that's fine too, but um, Chris is always the one who says and asks forgiveness first. And I know that's hard for you guys to believe. And the fact that, how many years in? No, I know. Uh, it took about six years in for me to, to shift a little bit to go, I'm sorry, first, please forgive me, ish. Have I done that? 26 years. This year, as we go look forward and back, I'm going to change. Next week, baby. Next week. I'm going to be the first one to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. No, you're not. That's all right. Forgiveness is, is the, the core of, 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 of this gospel message that redeems me from what I deserve, which is hell. And Jesus gives me life. How can I not forgive? How can I not forgive others? How do I not forgive her? How does she not forgive me? How do I not forgive a parent or a loved one or a coworker or whatever it is? The reality is if you understand man, if you understand our fallenness, that we're all jacked up, and the Bible says very clearly that there's no one righteous, not even one in Romans 3, that we all deserve hell. If you can understand, grasp that concept and let it look you in the face regularly, what you'll understand is this, I have to forgive because Jesus forgave me. When you walk in that, things tend to change. Back to the emotional thing. You choose to forgive. Watch God bring in the emotions and change your heart. Matthew 6, 12, and 
forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God forgave you. Number eight, vision. Vision. In, in the church context of a healthy church, I do think that one of the things that, that kind of kept us together is uh, hopefully that I was able to give some vision of where we're going, what we're doing. And it's the lifeline that holds on in the midst of, of I don't know if this church is going to make it to, come on, let's keep going. And that going is around, around seeing lives changed. The vision of, of seeing things change in people's lives. The vision of what could be. The vision of this that we didn't even see only six weeks ago. See, a healthy church mains, maintains an attitude of hope for the future. Constantly looking to what God has. Hope, that hope in Christ Jesus. Indeed, death comes when memories of the past supersede our vision of the future. We need a sense of vision for our own growth in grace and our growth in our church and outreach. Where there's no prophetic vision, Proverbs 29, people cast off restraints. They're unrestrained. Where there's no vision of where you're going. When you look at your own life as being the church, when you have no vision for your neighborhood, where you have no vision for the place that you work, when you have no vision for your family members beyond just the whatever it is, when you have no vision for the, the, the gospel message going forth out of you to these people, you cast off restraint. Look, if, if it's true, you and I are the church, and we walk out this building, we act as the church, the vision that we walk in is what Christ called us to, which is to preach the gospel, the hope of the gospel. I believe that's what God has called us to and what we're doing. Number nine, sacrifice. When it comes to fulfilling the mission of the church, the question is not how much does it cost, but how or who can we reach with the gospel? A godly vision worthy of sacrifice. And, and I love this because, I mean, you look over the last several years that we've been in church and you go, I, I don't know how we've made it. God, Jesus, the answer in Jesus. I mean, financially, how, I, come on. I, Eddie used to laugh because he, he would do the offering and, and do the, look at the books and we go, I don't know what God's doing. I don't know how he's going to do this. And he sustained us. And there are people that give sacrificially. There are people that give their time. That give their money. There are people that give their gifts what they are. And, and, and I look back three or four years and go, my goodness, the sacrifices of so many people in the church, as a church. But, but here's what I've got to wrestle with, and I, it goes through my head. That's all wonderful, and I love that. But if we don't get out there and make the sacrifices outside of this place, who cares? If we're not laying down our life out there, if we're not grabbing a hold of our brothers and sisters and encouraging and loving well out there, this is all useless. It's just a big Sunday meeting. Who cares? See, when you walk out these doors as the church and you lay down your life for others, watch what God's going to do. It'll blow your mind. Because you're living sacrificially, not just about yourself. Matthew 6 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where's your treasure? As, as a church, our church, we give. We're, we're, I'm excited next week we've got an announcement about a church plant that we're working with and we're going to bring them up and talk about them. I'm excited because I feel like God's calling us back to a, a mission project that I've worked on in the past. And, and, and I, I just, some things that God is calling us to. Where are our treasures? Our treasures aren't here. God has provided this, but this isn't where our treasures are. Our treasures are out there. And it's the hope that we bring to others. The treasures that you'll bring with you into the kingdom of God are, are the people that you preach the gospel to, that you live the life that they saw, that were impacted by the hope of Jesus that lives inside of you. The sacrifice is, is, is taking the time. We talked about it two or three weeks ago when someone pulls on your cloak, just stopping everything you're doing and focusing and going, here's Jesus. It's really not a sacrifice. It's really not a sacrifice. Number 10 is accountability. In a healthy church, uh, members are concerned for one another. They recognize the church is the body and that they designed to be accountable and, and help when things are difficult and, and spiritual growth and, and so forth. Uh, Luke 10 says this, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. What, what, what is significant about that? He sent them two by two. What is significant about that? I need my brothers to walk with. What's significant about that? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. What's significant about that? When I fall, someone picks me up. When I'm down, someone comes beside me. When you're down, you walk through and with others in their stuff. That's the beauty of accountability. That's one side of accountability. There's another side of accountability that says, what are you doing? He goes, should you really be doing that in life? They're both equally important. One pulls me up when I'm in the dirt. One pulls me out of the dirt. Incredibly important. So what does that look like in church? Pacific point in governance. I feel like God's going, okay, hey, you kind of got a building now. You, you are, you know... Um, I, you need to talk to the people about what governance and what everything looks like. Um, who we are and, and what we believe is, is as a church. There's, and I'm not going to go deep into this. I'm going to flow through it. Just time's sake, I'd rather get Daryl up here. But church polity, there's, there's several views of, of governance in church. The Episcopal form, the Presbyterian form, and a congregational form. We don't have to go through each one of those. Go to the, the fourth or the the fourth slide after that. You can't really do that, can you? You can. You're the best. Seth is, let me just say, talk about sacrifice and, and hard work. This guy here all last night helping set all this stuff up and just tirelessly deals with, with me. <laughs> Thank you, Seth. You're amazing. Who are we at PPC? We have an outside board of overseers right now that oversee me. Accountability for this church. Um, me as the visionary and the lead pastor. And, and here's what you have to understand about churches. When you start a church, it's really built around a personality. That's why we probably only had 18 people, because not much of a personality that was building it. <laughs> Dear Lord. 
But but they come around. You like that one, Mindy? They come around, you know, gathering and stuff. And as you grow, uh, you have men and women that come apart that you start to lean on that are leaders that you step into. And then our philosophy is that that we will take uh, men out of this this congregation and they'll become elders in the church. So right now, outside board, uh, but in the future, what we will do, we'll, we'll, we'll have men that will become elders in, in the church. But I just wanted you to meet and say hi to um, Daryl Flowers as as Daryl is... Uh, is the reason I am the reason I am no you know I can take credit for that <laughs> I'm Darryl. not taking credit for anything about you <laughs> when I got in the ministry where where's where Shirley and Jim at? oh yeah you're blaming yeah them? okay good. that's this is your mess <laughs> <laughs> so Daryl basketball player from Oregon uh played there played with AC Green played with Great athlete. I mean, he's not a hockey player, but he's a great athlete. Um, played some pro ball overseas, calling on his life. And when I got called in the ministry, um, this is the guy that, that was at Champions for Christ when I was there. And when we planted churches, that just kind of helped, helped mold me and really around accountability. So when we started this church um, and, and legally the corporate nonprofit side of the church, the board is Daryl. Greg Harper, who's not here, uh, he goes to Faithful Central in L.A., and they had something there. And then Tony Fetchel, who was supposed to be here, but he got iced into, uh, in Austin. The, the flight did not make it, so he's not here. So you're you're the one. So I, The Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger. By the way, uh, your comment earlier was well done. I came oh. back because God convicted me that I need to be yeah, where I need yeah, to be. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Even though the coffee didn't mean much. <laughs> not Starbucks. First buddy. of all, John, I told Chris, don't put those notes up there and not tell them. Episcopalian means one person's in charge. Okay, sorry. Presbyterian means a group. Okay. Congregational means it's run by everybody. And nothing yes. runs real good when everybody runs. Yes. There you go. I'm just going to tell you right now. All right. So I've been knowing John and Chris. I knew them before they were married. Um, and I want to say this really specifically about John. I love Chris. Chris is, uh, when you looked up there until John told you I was one of the guys on this board, you didn't realize that Chris is my younger sister, that uh, she uh, went, went, when she was a kid, she went to Dominican and like Sammy Sosa, she got bleached, didn't realize that, <laughs> you know, that, that that wasn't a thing to do, but really she black. <laughs> <laughs> And she married the whitest white guy. <laughs> Hockey, no rhythm. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but John has been a great friend to me. And I don't think he asked me to be on the board just because we're great friends. Uh, even before I understood the value of having you know, friendship, friendship was functional to me for many years, meaning like if I can do something for you, you can do something for me, we're friends, right? Um, but I realized it was more about the heart. And John was a great friend to me um, during our years in Austin, and I was probably an okay friend to him. Functionally, I was real good, but heart to heart, not as good. And I grew as a, a man myself, and uh, I thank God for John and 
few friends who were better friends to me than I to them. And so I, I made it kind of my last tenure of life to be better friends to my friends. And uh, he's authentic. He's real. A little too raw sometimes, huh, Jim and Shirley? Uh, <laughs> but it's, what you see is what you get. And that's not always the case in religious circles, right? Guys real one way up here, and then you catch him at the grocery store, and he don't even act like he knows you and things of that nature. So John asked me to be on the board. I told him beforehand that I'm probably one of maybe five people that he actually will listen to. Jim and Shirley, they Sometimes. you spanked them, and <laughs> every once in a while, Chris, sometimes me, and maybe one or two other people out there that he actually will. <laughs> Part, let me just say, well, uh, 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 Daryl is one of the, a very good theologian. This man is so well-versed, in, and his life, the gap I'm talking about, closed. I've watched this man, and he, he loves Jesus and has served the Lord so faithfully. And I, I look at his life, and, and, and I admire him, and have watched what he does. And he discipled me for, for many years. And so part, part of, you know, I was in our organization. I was the guy who helped these guys from teaching them theological concepts, uh, organizational things. We had a very charismatic boss, but he wasn't very practical to sit down and write stuff out with them. And so, um, you know, when John talked to me about being on the board, uh, at first I thought, okay, John wants to be on the board. But, and then, you know, I began to realize he was serious because I got to meet Jeremiah and Ed, I had met Eddie before and we went to eat. And I was like, man, this is, God is doing something good here. And uh, I told him, you know, he, once a year, we got to get together and have a formal meeting, but I'll come out at least one other time a year, uh, partially to play golf and be in the sun. Uh, but I got plenty of sun. I live in Houston, but really to come in and just see how things are going. Um, and just on my own ticket, church don't pay for it and just see how things are going. So I'm proud of John and Chris, uh, you know, starting this church up, getting it organized, getting some structure. Now, I know most of you just think, well, why don't we just love Jesus? And that, but that's not what government, <laughs> the IRS, <laughs> they don't allow you to do that. And plus, there's a safeguard for you that you've seen in human history and church history. Somebody gets some cockeyed ideas, start leading people down a path that is not Christian nor biblical. And what this does to have now, my, my personal history is I was in ministry for 18 years. And um, I've been in business on the other side for, I guess, uh, another 15, 16 years. So I, I, unlike most pastors, they went to seminary and they preach. And they don't know how y'all live, right? Let's be honest. They don't know how it is to get up in the morning, have to get to work and tell them I read the Bible and pray. And they ain't got a boss who cusses at them or whatever it is. I, I grew up in that religious climate. So so I think the beauty of John as well is that he's been bivocational. And so you're fortunate to have people who get where you're coming from, I guess is the best way to say it. 
And um, I, I see it as a privilege and an honor for John and Chris to ask me to help out. You know, maybe it's two years I help out, but I'm always pulling for them, always wanting to see things go well. And so, you know, uh, I'm excited about it. I'm, you know, pleasantly surprised that the room is almost full already and you guys just moved in here. So, you know, I'm looking forward to see what God does in this. Appreciate it. I'm going to, I'm going to have you as Grayson comes up. I want you to pray for us as a church okay. and oversee. So when we talk about governance, it's, it's this, that things don't stop with me. Look, and, and I'll make this available, but with any of our board members, if, if there's an issue, you can call them. And I know these men would respond. God meant it to be that way. That's why he sent, like I said, he sent them in twos. He meant for there to be accountable. He meant for men to, to cut on one another and, and women and to, to, to be accountable. There's, there's just something there because he knows we're fallen, finite, and fallible people. And without that, um, we'll go squirrely. But would you, uh, Grace, did you go, will you pray for us? All right. Lord, I thank you for uh, the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, universal, God, the physically specific point, and everything in between. God, I just pray for John and Chris and the church here that, Lord, they continue to grow in even those principal points that John shared today. That, Lord, that they would love you above everything else and love one another as Jesus commanded us. Father, I pray that uh, you'd raise up leaders in their midst, that you let them be salt in this community here, in this location, that they would impact those around them. And Lord, that disciples would be made and people's lives would be changed to the glory of God and that um, eternity will be affected by Pacific Point, making an impact in Costa Mesa and through this Orange County area. I pray for wisdom and grace i pray for you know, even this building that the facilities would come together lord and that people would feel welcome and feel love when they came impacted by the truth lord and just pray you would be with this church lord be with your people god in jesus name